Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. It's Tuesday. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. His mercies are new every morning. Don't you need that? Don't you need the new mercies of the Lord every morning? I sure do. Good morning. Um, This is Mornings with Carmen. You can find lots of great um, content and opportunity to pray with us and for us to pray with you. Thank you again for your gifts during our spring fundraiser. If you haven't had the opportunity to give yet and you want to participate, all of that, all of the all of that available at myfaithradio.com. You are a part of the Faith Radio family. Um, how do you know that? Well, you're here right now with me. And so thank you. Thank you. Our growing your faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 9, the first two verses. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High God. Let's just repeat that and let's revel in that and let's speak and pray and sing in agreement with that. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. My affections will not be divided. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High God. What would today look like if we just lived out those verses of Psalm 9, 1 and 2? What would it look like if your day was filled with what your heart was filled with? This, this, these verses from Psalm 9 declare what our heart is full of. If I'm going to praise the Lord with all my heart, if I'm going to be filled with joy because of him, if I'm going to tell of the marvelous things that the Lord has done, if I'm going to sing praises to his name, I'm not really going to have time to do much else. Like that is what I'm going to be doing. Whatever else I'm doing, that's what I'm doing. So what's your glory story this morning? What's your good news story? What marvelous things has God done that he wants you to share with others today? What's the joy of the Lord in you? What's your glory story? Hey, if you need, if you need um, some glory stories to read, you can always go to goodnewsnetwork.org. Um, they got a miracle Monday that I commend to your reading and I'm sure I'll find time to share more of it with you um, this morning. But like, we got to be filling our news feed with some good news as well, because the world is um, the world desires to press in the bad news 
always and in all ways. And we got to be the people pressing out the good news always and in all ways so that we are reminded of the glory stories, so that we are reminded of the good news of the gospel, so that we have praises to sing to the name of Jesus. What's your glory story this morning? You can always text me, 877-933-2484. What is the good news that you would be declaring today? The praise of the Lord in your heart, the marvelous thing that God has done. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is joining us now. He teaches at Cedarville University. He is a brother in Christ. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing today? I'm uh, I'm I'm full of it today, man. I don't know. Today's I don't know if today's the day that you wanted to be here because I am full of it. The joy of the Lord, um, the spirit of the living God, the desire to hear your glory story, a good news testimony, what marvelous thing God has done in your life. Yeah, I don't know. So you got one for me. Yeah, I actually, we had a celebratory dinner last night with our graduating seniors here at Cedarville um, in our department. And it's always remarkable when you reflect that God has put me in a position uh, to work with and influence and learn from such good, decent, kind students on a regular basis. Um, it's always humbling and it's always a blessing. So uh, it's yeah, I, I love what I do, and uh, God has blessed me with the opportunity to do it. So it's it's I hope to glorify Him in the process. So, um, one that you're sending out is headed to uh, medical school in Pennsylvania. Um, he is the son of my sweet cousin Jennifer, who serves um, as a as a missionary in Togo, West Africa. Um, and so, you know, for on on for my part, I want to say thank you. I know he doesn't he didn't come through your department, yeah, but right. you know, he's you know, right? And so I just um I love that men and women of God serve God by pouring themselves and what they've learned into the next generation. And so I'm so right. thankful for educators yep. at every level this morning. And so thank you for being among them and for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. My pleasure. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about morality, where morals come from, um, and, and where we are in terms of a culture that more than 50% of the people, according to a Pew research study, more than 50% of people don't think you need to believe in God in order to be a moral person. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess in some ways it shouldn't surprise us, Carmen, maybe, I don't know, but it is still kind of shocking to see these kind of numbers, I think. Uh, so about two thirds of Americans think you don't need to, you don't need God to be moral or to have good values. Um, there's some variation by party, but even among Republicans, it's a majority position. Um, there's some variation by age. People under 50 are more likely to say this than people over 50, but still both groups are in the majority saying, yes, this is possible. Um, those with college degrees are more likely to say it than those without college degrees. But again, both groups say a majority, it's possible to do this. 
Um, an interesting thing about the Pew study as well, it looked at a wide variety of countries and asked similar questions. And you see remarkably similar results across almost all the countries. There are some exceptions. Um, Israel was a little bit more 50-50. Uh, Malaysia, fascinatingly, I think, was uh, one of the only countries. It's, uh, only 22% of their population said it was possible to be moral without God. 78% said it was not possible. Um, and one of the findings in this study was that those of the Islamic faith were more likely to reject this um, than others. And so there's a lot to unpack here, I think, uh, but it's a fascinating Pew study, which is accessible. You know, just go in go online and Google, do we need God to be moral Pew research and it'll pop right up. Yeah, or or you can text me and I'll shoot you the link directly, 877-933-2484. Um, so let's talk about what, what morality is yes. Um, yes. and then like how we get our morals. So if morality is a basic distinction between right and wrong or good and bad, um, how do I how do I get that sense and how do I get that system? Where is that derived from? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really the fundamental question here. And, uh, and I think it's easy to misunderstand even this kind of question that Pew is asking. Um, to me, uh, you know, I would say it's impossible to understand good, right or wrong or good and evil apart from God. Um, you know, if we believe that God is the creator of the universe, if we believe that we are created in his image, and if we believe that as part of being created in that image uh, is that we have a sense of right and wrong, you know, as Psalm tells us, uh, the heavens declare his handiwork, right? We, we're surrounded by his uh, revelation in a sense, and I think we're embedded with a with a sense of right and wrong, a conscience, if you want to call it that, just as created human beings, <clears throat> and so I would say it's impossible uh, to do anything moral or good apart from God, simply because we're created in his image. Um, but that's different than saying, and I think this is where the question gets confusing, is can you, can you, uh, do you have to be a Christian to do good things? Mm. I think that's where kind of people get tripped up about this is do you, do you need to be a Christian to do, to do right or to serve the public or to be a good citizen or to be a good neighbor. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, you can be, however, the world might define moral, and you could be good in a sense, uh, without being a believer. Uh, but as you and I both know and would argue that that goodness is not sufficient to get you into the kingdom of God. You know, that is not a saving knowledge of anything. It just means you you can be good because God has implanted something within you. So the difference between right and wrong. And so to me, this it's an interesting theological discussion <clears throat> that I think can get lost in uh, the ambiguity of questions like this, if that makes sense. It does. And I think it provokes um, really good conversation. So we're going to we're going to continue this conversation for just a moment with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. When we come back, here's what I want you to ask yourself um, during this very brief break. Can a person be good without God? Can a person live a moral life apart from a living relationship with God? And then if so, how might you have answered the questions that Pew was asking about morality in the culture today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We'll be right back with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith um, from Cedarville University. We're talking about morality. We're talking about the view of um, the majority of Americans who say, you know what, you don't actually have to believe in God in order to be moral. How do we arrive at that? Well, we all know people who are moral, who are able to distinguish from right from wrong and live, quote unquote, good lives without right. a relationship with God. We all know them. We have them in our families. And so I think that um, when we're shocked by the percentages, then if we if we actually like drive the question home and we ask it of ourselves and the people we know, do we know people who live like moral, upright lives, but aren't destined to spend eternity in the kingdom of heaven because they are living apart from God? Yeah, we do. We I do. Yep. Um, and so, Mark, when we ask the question that way, where do we land? So, yeah, I think I think that people can be moral in a sense. But as you were saying on our way out of the last segment, um, our very categories for moral and immoral and good and bad and right and wrong are rooted in a transcendent God. And so, yes, someone can be moral in a sense, in the way you're describing, um, uh, without believing in God, um, but their very ability to be moral depends on God's existence. That's mm. how I would put it. And so it's impossible to be good and moral without God because nothing is possible without God. That's kind of where I start from. Um, but in a practical sense, you know, when you have a neighbor next door or a member of your own family, like you said, we do know people who who live decent lives in a sense um, apart from a relationship with God. And I think it's because of God's uh, grace that he still allows people to uh, take advantage of apart from a relationship with him. Um, if we take Romans 1 seriously, you know, Paul tells us that we all know enough truth uh, to be judged by it. We all know enough about God, but we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. And so I think part of that knowledge is this ability to do good in a sense, uh, apart from a relationship with God. But, and I think, you know, just in my own life, those kinds of people are the, are sometimes the most difficult to have these kinds of conversations with because they say, well, I, I do good things. I'm a mm -hmm. good person, whatever that mm -hmm. means. So why do I need God? And, you so know, you and I both know they desperately need God, but they don't see that need in their own lives. Yeah. So I'm thinking here about the guy that walks up to Jesus and is like, um, I'm a good yes. guy. I've actually kept all the commandments from my youth. And yep. um, and Jesus is like, okay, so now go and sell everything that you have and follow me. The right. the God, the God relationship, the relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, regardless of all the good you've done. I mean, you know, part of what I think we're to learn from this encounter that Jesus has with this very good man, this yes. this man who's done more than the rest of us, which is keep all the commandments from his youth. Um, 
you know, it, it's not that Jesus doesn't say that's not enough. That's that's the wrong question. That's right. It, do you have a relationship with me? That, that's that's right. what Jesus is trying to ask. Do you will you follow me? Will you sacrifice all the things that you think are good and right and righteous and follow me? Will you be my guy? Are you going to be my guy? And that's right. And you can't be moral in that way without no. a knowledge of God and not just a general knowledge of the reality that God is or that God has created, but the specific reality of who Jesus is and a restored relationship to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. This is an opportunity for Christians to have evangelical conversations with our neighbors about our Jesus story. Yeah, no question about it. And I think that's I think that's incredibly well put. You know, the more that we come into contact with the true living God, the more we understand that our own morality is just insufficient. It's filthy yeah. rags, as we're reminded. And it's nothing compared to the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. But until you come into contact with that, it's hard to see that. And so part of our responsibility as believers, I think, is to bring people to that, help bring people to that point uh, where they're confronted with the truth of God. It's difficult. Um, but yeah, I think the Pew study is fascinating. I would almost rather ask the question, is it possible for a society to be good apart from God and God's values? You know, I would argue no. In the end, it's not possible, but that's not the way the question is framed. So uh, super interesting study, though, and uh, you know, I think worth looking into and having conversations about. Yeah, in the end, is it possible for a free people to continue to live free without, uh, without a morality that is framed and centered on something other than themselves? <laughs> yeah. I think I the clear no. answer to that is no. Yeah, that's right. We devolve, in, we devolve into selfishness and selfish pursuits very, very quickly. Um, okay, we only have a, a few minutes, but I think you're going to be able to unpack this for us in a few minutes. Um, there's a lot going on at the Supreme Court and with justices of the Supreme Court. Um, yes. Justice Samuel Alito um, you know, came around and said that the leak at the Supreme Court um, related to the Dobbs case made them targets of assassination. Um, the Chief Justice has declined a Senate invitation. Like, what, what's going on? Uh you know, like we drove people to look at that Pew study, people need to go look at the Wall Street Journal interview with Justice Alito and just get a sense of what he's talking about. Um, I think what the one thing that people need to grapple with is how historically unreal this interview even is. Um, I think you have to say this is a product of a coordinated effort on the court by at least several members, if not a majority of the court, who sort of tabbed Alito as someone who could talk to a reporter and say some of these things, because there's no way a justice would do this, I don't think, on their own, without some sort of sense of what's happening. It's just shocking for court members to be this transparent about feelings on the court and relationships on the court, uh, and even pushing back against the popular narrative that the court is illegitimate and the court should be attacked, uh, the court's unethical, um, and Alito is, is hitting it straight on here. Um, you know, the court... The court's an interesting institution because it's not political, at least it's not designed to be political at all. And so it doesn't really have a prominent popular role to play. Uh, you know, every June it hands down a few controversial decisions, but we don't think of the court on a regular basis, especially as this body that speaks for itself and that announces things, that engages in public discussions. So Alito is kind of really breaking form here um, and being really open about Dobbs, the leak, 
um, attacks against the court, the legitimacy of the court. And again, we just we hardly ever hear justices talk about this, even after they've retired from the court. This is just shocking in a sense for him to even talk about it. Hmm. Okay. So yes. And if you want, um, again, if you want any of the links that we're sharing uh, with you today, um, I'll send them to you. The Wall Street Journal article will be behind a paywall for some of you if you've already read all your free articles for the month. Um, But I'll send you the link. Nonetheless, uh, again, Justice Samuel Alito um, gives this very transparent, very human um, uh, interview uh, Justice Samuel Alito, this makes us targets of assassination. Um, it's a, it's a, it's troubling, um, and it's illuminating. Uh, and so, hey, Mark, as always, thank you so much. We love our time with you. Um, bless the seniors as they uh, as they leave your setting, and and thank you for the way you've prepared them to walk out into the world as as agents of grace. We appreciate that. I'll do my best. Thanks to you and your listeners, and I'll talk to you soon, Carmen. That sounds great. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. All right, friends. Um, who are you? Who are you? If I just like met you on the street and I just said, who are you? How would you answer that question? And then what if... I ask a, a question like, who are we? Who are we? If I know you're a Christian, or if I know you profess to be a Christian, I'm going to say we are children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are ambassadors of a king and a kingdom. We are co-missionaries with Christ, sent to the world that he so loves, on a mission We are agents of grace. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. We are living stones built together into a temple through whom the gospel is proclaimed. We are sent to represent Christ to people walking in darkness. We are his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And by then you might be looking at me like, Well, you're either going to be in full agreement because you've seen and you know, or you're going to be looking at me like I'm bananas. Because how could we be witnesses to the ends of the earth for Jesus if we don't even know the people at the end of our own street? Like we are members of a global body of Christ sent by our Lord and Savior into the world to seek the lost. But most of us are not actually actively going out of our way to find the lost. Instead, We're asking those people to get out of our way. You see the difference? Going out of our way to seek the lost whom Christ wants to to save or treating those same people as if they are in our way. We know that we know better. Like, we know we're not supposed to pass by on the other side of the street. Like, we know that. We know it's not how Jesus would live today. We know it. We have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. And yet many of us, let's just confess it. Many of us have put the blinders back on. We languish in a relative, in the relative comforts of our personal feathered nests, whatever, wherever they are and whatever they look like. We've allowed ourselves to be seduced by the trappings of this world. It's okay to confess it. In fact, it's necessary. 
We have allowed ourselves to be defined by what we do, by what we have, by what we've put away for the future, by where we go to church on Sunday. But we're not experiencing true community. I hear this from you all the time. We're not seeing gospel transformation in the world around us, and we're not experiencing genuine community with fellow believers. We know this is not what Christ intended, but we have no vision of a different way forward. We wonder, we imagine, could we even see the straight and the narrow road of Jesus from the easy street we've been living on for so long? That is a provocative question. We're going to talk next with one who has been there and and seen it. And he's going to help light the way. But let me just go ahead and put a warning label on this next segment. Because this next segment, I think, needs to come with like a huge sticker. Because once you see... That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. I hardly know where to begin, and so I might talk faster during this segment than I normally talk, and so you'll have to slow it down when you listen to it, um, it you know, on repeat, because you're going to want to take notes. Jeff Christofferson is with us. Um, he is, among other things, the author of Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church, and I'm going to leave it right there. He is the executive director of the Canadian National Baptist Convention and the executive director of Church Planting Canada. He's also the co-founder and missiologist of the Church Multiplication Institute, which is a lot to say. And let me just say, he's been there and he's seen it and he's bringing us a vision of it. Welcome, Jeff, to Mornings with Carmen. Well, it's great to be with you, Carmen. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so um, first, let me just say thank you. Um, And I'll leave it right there for just a moment. It is really difficult to summarize a novel and so let's start with that. Um, why a novel? Because you certainly could have laid this out um, in sort of the the form of a book for church leaders, you know, a pattern to follow, an analysis to uh, to embark upon. Um, why a novel? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, you see, I've written on this stuff, you know, these ideas before, as have others, and. Um, and I think a lot of people will give intellectual assent, like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think you're right on all those things. And yet the needle doesn't seem to be moving. In fact, we continue to dig deeper into our, our ruts or our patterns. And uh, and so I just really felt like people needed to um, get a picture of what this looks like and the consequences of missing it and um, uh, have a have an emotional reaction to the ideas that we're talking about. And so that's why I wrote it in a narrative, and I, I'm, I'm following the pattern of Jesus. So I'm in, a, I'm in good company here. Yeah, the storytelling format is, is very provocative. I also think it enables me to invite people who might not other, otherwise engage in this kind of material. Um, right. This is a way for me to invite them into basically like a book club, um, the discussion guide is is the meat. Let me just go ahead and tell people that. Um, it's obviously at the end, and you don't even want to read the discussion guide before you read the book. You just want to read the novel 
And let me just say this. You want to read this. Um, if you're my people and you get me, if you track with me, this is the book you want to read. Um, once you see Seven Temptations of the Western Church, we do have digital copies to give away today. You know how this works. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you are Anne or Bob or Mary Rose or Lori, you like have to text in right now because this is your book. This is the one you've been waiting for. <laughs> um, like I, I already know as I was reading this, I'm like, I know a person in Wisconsin. I know a person in Connecticut. I know a person in the Twin Cities. I know like I know people who have been longing for what you describe in Once You See. So mm. text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jeff, what, um, I mean, maybe as simply as you can, um, cast the vision. Yeah, well, I mean, there's these seven temptations are, are ideas that I think we, we struggle with. Um, I start with a, a picture of what I call philosophicalism, which is this temptation of a hypothetical faith. It's a faith that is in our between our ears, but it's not really a faith we obey. And um, and in the word belief in the New Testament's always been a verb. We we don't own a faith; we do a faith. And so we don't own a belief; we do a belief. So we start with that idea, and then we look at a. a uh, idea that we're stumbling on that I just call professionalism, and that is this temptation of excellence. And um, and this this is idea that really rips off the priest the priesthood of every believer and limits it to personal spiritual access. Like I can I can have access to the Father in prayer, but the idea of of the peace priesthood of all believers is far more than just you know my personal spiritual access. It is God wants to really work through my life. And, um, and far more than the little jobs sometimes we get in church. Um, the third one is what I just call presentationalism, and that is the, the temptation of a crowd. And this speaks to the body of Christ morphing kind of primarily into a worship service. When we think of the church, we think of a worship service. And that was never uh, first, second, third century understanding of the church. And so we... Uh, we kind of have to deal with that one. Then the, I speak of one a temptation I just call passivism, and that is the temptation of comfort. We're passive, and and we we have religious preferences, and that we're, our religious preferences trump the mission that Jesus has for His church. That search and rescue mission that was always His idea for His church, and so we uh we kind of say i like this kind of church or i like that kind of church and we 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 um we kind of put our preferences as the highest value the fifth big idea is is the temptation of competition and uh and our churches compete with one another local brand advancement outranks the greater kingdom revelation that god has always intended for his church and uh and these these ideas of local churches being autonomous and competing, it, it somehow misses, uh, I think, the picture of what Christ had for his church. And we see that in John 17 pretty clearly. Um, the sixth and second to last of the seventh is what I just call partisanism. And, um, and that is the temptation of Caesar, that we have secondary earthly lawyer loyalties, and they emerge dominant over our kingdom allegiance. And, um, and so... 
we we make our politics and many other things more important than our allegiance to Jesus Christ, and uh, and we allow them that, and we've seen that in spades recently. Finally, um, what I call is the, the last one. They all start with a P, and that is paternalism, and that is this temptation of power. And and that just speaks to the hubris of our Western cultural superiority of the global church. We think somehow we have it right. But actually, if you see where the gospel is moving in this world right now, it isn't in the West. Um, God, that There's more Christians in the world right now than there's ever been. And they're, they're in other places and in many places um, experiencing intense persecution, yet they're being faithful to Christ. And so uh, we have a lot to learn from the global church, and that I think this is the moment the Western church needs to to stop being a teacher and start being a learner. So that's the big ideas. It's so great. We're talking with Jeff Christofferson, um, and you can immediately see and recognize how he could have laid that out in um, in what we might describe as sort of a lecture didactic manner in a, quote, nonfiction church leadership book, church examination book. Instead, it's captured, all of that is captured in a novel, in a story that is, it's fantastic. Um, It even has like cliffhangers. So once you see Seven Temptations of the Western Church, it is a novel. Jeff Christofferson is the author. We are giving away digital copies today. To enter that drawing, text the word book to 877 9332484 um i don't mind telling you um as you're listening right now i'm i'm buying them in bulk um because i actually like want i want to not just give them to people i want to invite people to read and explore these ideas with me which i suspect jeff is precisely what you have in mind yeah and that's what that's what i'm very grateful to see happening uh it's like one it's a book that um I wrote during COVID. <laughs> I had a little more time, and um, and and to see there's actually groups of people. Some people are buying this hundreds at a time, and uh, they're and they're using it in their their churches and different different kind of groups. And uh, now, can we pause there it, for just a second? Because yeah. let's you and I are going to both be really honest. If okay. I buy a hundred copies of this and give it out, there might be there might be ten people who get it. Well, am maybe. I, uh, am I? I mean, I guess it depends who the hundred people are that I give it to. But I, I do want people to recognize that although I think everyone will track through the first five, once we get to competition and we start talking about interdependence, once we start having a conversation about partisanism and in the culture today, even among Christians, mm-hmm. maybe predominantly among Christians, we're talking about kingdom allegiance, big K versus allegiance to party or nation like you and then yeah and then we get to paternalism i gotta tell you jeff i know people who will absolutely immediately in the face of those put up stop signs yeah no for sure so uh, i guess i guess after you read it be discerning who you share it with because you're gonna um (laughs) you might be meeting in secret with them um and that's not behind anybody's backs that's so it can become who you are before you're um sort of under attack for it is that fair to say yeah i I think you see if you if you look at that discussion guide it, it sort of comes in three parts it's like unlearning 
relearning, but before the relearning is a, is a, is a middle part. And that is metanoia, repentance, new mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we have to have a, a, a new optics. In fact, our old mind has to be blown away. And the only way it gets blown away is something way better in its place. And so, um, we don't really repent unless we really believe there's something better as an option. And, uh, and so I, that's, that's my hope is real metanoia, real new thinking can happen between the unlearning and the relearning. And I think that's the point where, where God does his best work. It's so good. Um, we're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It is a novel. Um, I read it in almost one sitting. It is so fantastic. It moves very quickly. And you absolutely want to know what happens at the end. You are engaged. You love these people. You fall in love with what God's doing. Um, and you can't wait to see what's next. Uh, and so it has this wonderful kingdom anticipatory movement to it as well. We are giving away copies today. To enter that drawing, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. More with Jeff in just a moment. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right, if I sound excited this morning, which some of you are commenting on the text line, Carmen, you sound really excited about this. Okay, this is because I have seen, and yet I confess, I've been sort of lured back in by the pattern and by the rhythm and by the this is how we do it. And you know what? I'm a kingdom person. And I want to see the kingdom advanced always and in all ways. And um, this novel, Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church, um, like reminds me of a new wineskins movement that I was a part of in like 2000. It reminds me of a Young Life community that I experienced in college. And you guys know me. I'm a grandma now. So, you know, we're talking about some years. I've seen it. I've tasted it. And yet... I haven't invested in cultivating it in an intentional way beyond the rhythms of what I'll just describe as sort of regular patterns of church. And so I'm here to confess that I'm captivated. I'm reminded this is who I am and how I want to live. Um, this is missional church for those of you who are familiar with that language. This is experiencing God for those of you who are 
familiar with that language. For people who know those things, Jeff, um, this is this is the book that's going to help them not only reignite that passion and vision and experience in their own walk of faith, but share it with others in this generation. Well, it's interesting, uh, Carmen. Henry Blackaby was my pastor growing up as a kid in Saskatchewan. And so that's interesting it, you put it, that he together. It infected you. It infected you. It's good. <laughs> it's how it's supposed to work. Yeah, that's right. Um, so um, what is a Jesus movement? I think that that might help people to understand what is a Jesus movement and what might happen if each and every Jesus person was actually catalyzed and became part of a Jesus movement? Well, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, when you see the first that's my three job. centuries. Hey, just so that you know, that is my <laughs> okay. job to come up with great questions. This is all because I know how the, to do. Yeah. The uh, first three centuries of, of Christianity was, you know, we can look at it and, and, and it was incredible. It was the persecuted people um, on mission and church wasn't like we were thinking. They were they were actually following the patterns of Jesus. And if, if you look at the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call the Gospels. Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven eighty six times. He uses or mentions the word church two times. And um, and we we actually flip things around. We we say church eighty six times, and we say kingdom two times, and we usually even say it in the wrong context in many ways. But um, when the church becomes the goal, um, the church becomes a powerless, idolatrous kind of thing. But when the kingdom of God is the goal, the church becomes this open-handed, um, give-yourself-away, powerful Jesus movement. And, um, and so you look at Romans 16, you see Paul writing, uh, greet so-and-so, and it's a whole list of people. And you realize that Paul has never been to Rome. But this movement has has ordinary people have gone everywhere with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, and so it is the pattern, it is the normality of the New Testament. The the idea of a kind of institutionalized church where we gather together and we, you know, we 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 comp- we compare numbers, how many do you have on Sunday? Uh, how's the budget, you know, nickels and those, all the metrics that we often talk about. It would it would be I, I just try to imagine what the first through third century would have thought about our metrics, and um, I think it would be it would be a disappointing day <laughs> for for the those who gave their lives up uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so that's what we see around the world. Actually, we see movements happening. I was in Thessaloniki, Greece, just before the pandemic, with eighty six countries church planning movements in eighty six countries. And uh, and that was what was in common with all of them is is they weren't really thinking about how sustainability, they were thinking about the gospel. How do we give ourselves away and get the gospel out? And uh, and their transformed lives were were First Peter three fifteen. They were they were evidenced. They were like can openers, people trying to open them up and see what is this hope of the gospel that you have. And they were living with regular people, and uh, and and all of a sudden, you know, people are no. Noticing that the Christ they follow is is not just their religion, but it is their life, and um, and it just makes all the difference in the world. We're talking with Jeff Christofferson. The book is "Once You See: Seven Temptations of the Western Church." It is a novel. 
Um, Jeff, we are not going to get through all of this today. So I'll just tell you right now, you have to come back. Is that okay? I'd love to. Okay. It's because I started dog earing the pages at 167. Um, and, and I, then I started like writing on the pages because, you know, at some point dog earing is not enough. I started writing on the pages. Let me see where my first little, uh, looks like, oh no, I was going to say 295, but it looks like I under, underlined a bunch of stuff starting at 282. And so from there on, like I have like 50 questions outlined for you. So clearly we're going to um, need to get back together. Um, let, let's close with this. If we were going to send people somewhere for more in terms of learning how to catch a glimpse and maybe even have an immersive experience, um, invite, invite folks to movementleadercollective.com. Yeah, Tell them I think what that, that is a- and invite them there. Well, I mean, this is something where leaders, uh, I don't know if this is something where leaders of organizations, so uh, denominations or that are just trying to say, we have to get off dead center that we're in. So that movement leader collective is a, is leaders of movements <laughs> gathering together and uh, sharpening one another. And so I realize that's not for everybody, but I also think that it helps people see the big vision even as each and every one of us is living it out in our own space and time. And so I I want you to know if you're listening right now, yes, this is absolutely about you and how, how Jesus wants to be working and living in and through you, that you as a person of Christ would participate in the body of Christ in a way that Jesus can actually walk around in the world that he so loves, that he can continue Mm. to seek and save the lost. That's who we are as members of his body. So I want to get us individually activated, but I also want you to hear me say, this is about a really big vision. Um, Jeff, Mm. let's leave it there today, and then will you please come back? I'd be honored to. This is fun. Okay. I I already can't wait. All right. That's Jeff Christofferson. Um, you can connect with him on all the socials. He's not hard to find. Um, right now, if you're interested in a audio copy, I said digital. They are audio copies of Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. Um, text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. I'm sorry if I gushed, but I got to tell you, if you're a Carmen Jesus type person, like if you get me, this is this is how I see things and this is my heart's desire. So once you see is the book, Seven Temptations of the Western Church, we are absolutely going to be talking more about it and more with Jeff Christofferson. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next um, we're going to lead off talking amongst ourselves. We, you and I are going to be chatting about keeping the main thing the main thing, because sometimes the main thing falls out of focus, and we let lesser things become the main thing. And so I want to confess that that's true of me, um, and I want to ask, is that true of you? Are there times where you have allowed the things of this world to blur or skew or distract you from the main thing? Advancing the gospel always and in all ways, kingdom advancement in this generation in and through you. That's next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, 
Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.